World Cup, I had mixed opinions about this U.S. team. I knew that the U.S. team was missing a lot of key players due to injuries, but I also acknowledged that that was a big problem everywhere, and I had kind of hoped and assumed that the rest of the world would also struggle due to these injury problems. I also knew that this is an inexperienced team, right? I think many key pieces are going to be missing this tournament and have missed the first few matches, which has been detrimental to this U.S. team. Sa- Becky Sauerbrunn, Abby Dahlkemper in the defense, and the midfield, you know, you look at Samantha Mewis, Katarina Macario, who could also play up top, Swan- Mallory Swanson, Kristen Press, Tobin Heath, and there's plenty more players who are injured. In addition, there's four players who maybe shouldn't have missed this roster, should have been a part of this team. Ashley Hatch, Adriana French, Casey Kruger, and Tina Davidson missed out on Vlako and Janowski's roster, despite being key pieces in many recent camps for the U.S., as I talked about with the inexperienced side, this was, yes, due to the injuries, but also due to the influx of new talent in this U.S. women's national team pool. 14 of the 23 players are making their Women's World Cup debut, and it is not just all young players. There are players who have emerged on the scene, got in that first World Cup call-up at not, you know, a super young age, and the more latter stages of their career, um, not to say that they cannot continue to play at the top level. Christy Mewis and Sofia Huerta being a few examples of players, such as along with Aubrey Kingsbury and plenty more, who have gotten these call-ups in their late 20s, early 30s, which is not usually accustomed in soccer, but these players have gotten their way into this U.S. Women's National Team side due to their current form. Um, I, I honestly was just hoping to see the U.S. team dominate from the beginning of the World Cup, and unfortunately, that has not necessarily been happening. Numerous hashtags and question marks have surrounded the U.S. Women's National Team side as they've started their campaign this summer. But one of the women's soccer podcasts came up with is hashtag fire the iPad kid. For those who wonder, what does that mean? It means we would love to see Vlako and Donoski not stay with the U.S. Women's National Team side after this World Cup. As a podcast, we have tried to stay supportive of the Vlako and Donoski campaign even though he struggled and led the U.S. women's national team on a horrible European tour, getting demolished by England and Spain's B, Spain's B teams. Um, and the World Cup has looked very similar. He's had no direction at this U.S. side and, quite frankly, has silenced the talents of this incredible U.S. side and not allowed them to play their best soccer. Of course, we would love to see Vlako turn it around and we're big supporters of him as we urge the U.S. women's national team towards their third, fifth World Cup title and third in a row. But Vlatko Nidoski has not been getting the job done. And the reality is, is some people have to put that out there, that you have this big cloud surrounding this coaching staff knowing that his contract expires with u.s soccer federation after this cup my question for the u.s soccer federation is will he be able to keep his job even if the u.s team does win their third consecutive world cup championship as his coaching style has lacked direction and quite frankly has led to the u.s's abysmal performances barely getting the job done and It's because of the players' talent that they've won these matches. It is not because of tactical genius ideas from Vlatko. The players of the U.S. team are clearly one of the best teams in the world, and even players have been questioning why Vlatko has not been making subs. We'll talk about that in a later segment. But I just don't really have much confidence in Vlatko and Janowski, and I hope he proves me wrong. So far, he is not. And I think many fans, players such as Ali Krieger, Margaret or Midge Purse have been 
Tobin Heath. Many players have been questioning Carly Lloyd as another one. Um, and current players have also been speaking out about the problems of Flacco and Janowski. Alex Morgan talked about him in a Sports Illustrated piece. And my question is, should he keep his job if they do not win the World Cup? I think he shouldn't keep his job if they win the World Cup because he is not doing his job right now as a coach. And someone has to put it out there that he has not been the leader that this U.S. team needs as their golden generation fades away. This is a topic that really annoys me. I've done this take multiple times and has ended me screaming, wishing that Flacco was listening because clearly he's not listening to any of the journalists who knew that Lynn Williams would be a much better fit up front for the game against Netherlands. He disobedently ignored us all who proved us right through the U.S having an abysmal result in that match. Um, Lynn Williams is not the best 15-minute 30 player in the world. She's the best, one of the best 90-minute forwards in the world, Latko and Janoski. And you talk all this praise about her being such a great substitute. Well, if you really care that much about her being so valuable to this team, then put her in the dang game. And... I'm not, I'm really frustrated, not just only as a Gotham fan who has loved watching her as a season ticket holder, but as a U.S. Women's Ashley fan, and the reality is, is this is not an invincible team anymore. As the Netherlands proved, there are teams that can beat us. And when you put, keep your same team almost completely the same for the whole 90 minutes, they're going to get tired. And I do not blame the players. Vladko, stop throwing blame on the players because it, it's not their fault, it's yours. Make subs, Vladko. You want to know who to put in? Well, since you and your team can clearly not plan substitutes and have ideas of who you want to put in ahead of time, I have decided to do so, as many other people have, because clearly you don't know what a substitution means. So, um, here are just a few to make. We talked about Lynn Williams. I know, maybe you've just never seen her play before, because if you have, you'd know that she'd be such a great player for this U.S. team. Um, Moving on to another Gotham FC player, Kelly O'Hara. You've heard of her, Flatko? Um, you started defense that's very young and has no experience in big matches. Their only few starters is a Crystal Dawn who is not playing her best soccer and a Julia Earth playing out of position. And you decide, I'm going to leave Kelly O'Hara on the bench, one of the most experienced fullbacks in the world, who probably would have stopped many attacks. And she's a player who's not just experienced, she's a winner. And I hate to break it to you, but you do not have a core group of experience on this roster. We talked about only nine players have played at a World Cup before. And if you leave a lot of them on the bench, you're not going to win matches. Um, And I'm saying this in the most nice way I can because O'Hara and Williams are too good to not play in this World Cup match. And we've seen what this group can do. And what this group can do is tie to Netherlands, a team missing their best striker in Vivian Miedema. So I think, Flatko, it's a little, maybe it's a little bit of time where we could implement some more substitutes. Here's, you know, you, here's just two. I mean, you clearly know this next one, Rose Lavelle. You so graciously put her in the match. And you said it would take too much time for players to adjust. Well, Lavelle took about less than 20 minutes to get an assist, which um, was the only player, person on the field who can apparently t- take set pieces. Um, Lavelle's dynamic dribbling makes her the best midfielder on this team, by far. Lindsay runs up there, but Lavelle is this easy starter when she's fully fit. If she's not starting in this World Cup, they are not going to win this World Cup. I will say it again and again. This U.S. team is not invincible anymore. There are teams that can beat them. There are teams that are better than them. And this U.S. roster is too good. They can win the World Cup. They can. I truly believe it. 
to lose because of poor coaching decisions. Oh, Megan Rapino, you know, maybe one of the most historic women's soccer players of all time on and off the field. You know, you're just going to let's forget about Lynn Williams and Rapino. Such a great coaching decision, Vlatko and Donoski. She's the best set piece taker and penalty kick taker in the world. And if you have that ability off the bench, especially in knockout matches, and you don't use that, well, shame on you because you're not going to win. I'm sorry. Another player, you know, maybe Vlatko you should really consider playing more. Ashley Sanchez. One of the most crafty and creative players in the world. And I love watching Ashley play. The fact that she got completely thrown to the side by a player who had no U.S. taps, who I will leave unnamed because Savannah DeMello, you know, I'll mention her. Savannah DeMello, she's a good player. I'm not discounting that. But the fact that you start her over Sanchez, which is fine, you know, I'm okay with that. DeMello's playing well. And then you ignore Sanchez is just criminal. Sanchez has been there, done, been there, and been killing it in the NWSL and for your team and qualifying. Remember that, Flacco? Um, and then you just bring in someone and completely forget about Ashley. Savannah's incredible. And Savannah, you're listening to this? You're doing awesome. Keep on doing what you're doing. This isn't about you playing bad. It's about Ashley Sanchez not getting opportunities to play aside you. Um, because... Flacco is making substitutions. That is the done. That is the end. I'm done with my 10 talk. Thank you for listening. And let's move on to another subject that hopefully won't kill headphone users listening. Sure. There's plenty of other substitutes Matt Flacco and Janowski could have made. Alana Cook. Many more. I could name dozens of players that should be on the US roster that could have been good substitutes. But let's move on to something that's more general in the World Cup, with poor officiating being seen in every single match. I watched the Haiti match this morning, and I was appalled that multiple penalty kicks weren't even checked by VAR. I'm not an expert referee. Again, you can't, I'm not going to give you the professional ideology of how the VAR checks work, but I think as a fan, and as a fan who was rooting for an upset with Haiti winning, and I think Haiti deserved it. They played better throughout the match. Sure, they were, you know, down, they were up a player, but Haiti had such great work ethic, and I think, for me, it's not just that one match. Across the tournament, the officiating has been subpar best. And I know it's a very hard job to referee. Trust me. Fans, we cannot relate to the ref- the referee and how hard it is to officiate in these matches. And I understand that. And I understand that officiating is a very hard job. And I'd like to mention that because I don't think any of us could do it that are complaining about the officiating at this cup. What I am complaining about is that this is a world tournament this is one of the this is the biggest soccer event in the world the women's and men's world cups are the most viewed soccer events and for women's soccer it's a really bad look that the officiating is making so many poor calls throughout the tournament and they've made some right calls i'm saying this i am not saying this in reflection of one official i think that overall they've been they've been obviously they're trying their best and i don't want to diminish the work that they're doing i do want to say though FIFA, you gotta tighten it up, and FIFA, you gotta ensure that these VAR checks are being managed, and that the calls that you're making aren't affecting the outcome of the game, which I think, unfortunately, some of these calls have affected the outcome of the game, and it's really sad to see some countries potentially not make it through because of poor officiating. So, 
Now we're getting to a segment in the episode where we're going to talk about the players who are playing, who I think are doing a very good job. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to focus on the defense in this segment, plus Nair, obviously. I really like what the, the team is doing as a whole. I just think rotations need to be made. It's a very complicated, long World Cup journey. You have to play your best soccer and... It's very hard as an athlete to do that. And I think you can't expect players to keep the same lineup that has never been played together and play it 100%, which I think is why we need to see more connections in that back line especially, which we'll start with. Nair Annette, I think, you know, she hasn't really been tested too much. I think we can't make too many judgments. I think I loved her leadership in the back of the field. The goalkeeping as a whole at this Women's World Cup has been superb. I've loved watching goalies from, you know, smaller underdog countries on paper who many people didn't you know account for making the um knockout stage have been playing awesome and Nair hasn't really been tested too much yet but I think in the parts that we've seen her play props to you Alyssa you're doing great Crystal Dunn is a who's up next I think she's a very talented player I think that the U.S. are completely wasting her talents by playing her at left back I know, I know, there's a big shortage on players, but we don't have a concrete left back besides Fox, and then apparently Vlaco can't really, he isn't, he's not putting in O'Hara, which I would like to see Fox and O'Hara play together and have Dunn move into the midfield with, you know, Haran and Lavelle, that would be such a great trio, and then you could keep Burtz back there. I think that Dunn is playing not her best soccer so far in this cup, I mean, she's made a few errors on the field that I haven't been super happy with watching, but I think she's not playing in the right position, and I think considering how good she can be, and we've seen it, I think she needs to get in the right position, and that's not a her thing, that's a coaching thing. Naomi Gurma. I don't know if you can hear my clapping on the audio. Gurma is my favorite defender out of the young group of them. I like Cook as well, but Gurma is just a rock-solid leader in the back. You wouldn't know it's her first World Cup. She's made such a seamless transition, um, along with Savannah DeMello, who I'll talk about a little bit later. Gurma is a leader. She's rock-solid in the back. She intercepts passes, has been playing awesome soccer, along with Julie Yurtz, who brings that experience, one of those players coming back from maternity leave. You know, she's a mother now. And then to come back and play at such a high level just a few months before the World Cup is so inspirational to everyone out there. Um, her ability to just return and show how great and dominant Julie Ertz can be and how big of a piece Julie is for this national team is undeniable. Ertz is so dynamic and her ability to do everything on the field is so incredible. As a, another player who plays center back myself a lot of the times, I love watching Ertz play a center back because of her long passing abilities and her aerial abilities and corner kicks. Emily Fox is someone I talked about earlier. I think Fox is having a nice debut World Cup. Nothing that's, like, super standout. I think she's just been, like, rock solid, which I think is what you need. I think there should be a little bit rotation with the fullback position between maybe O'Hara stepping in or some other options like Huerta, perhaps. But I think that Fox is getting the job done, and I'd love to see her play at left back and move down into the middle of the pitch. I think that that is a given for me. Um, We'll talk about the midfield in a minute. But I think overall, Fox, good job with your World Cup debut. You're being solid. Nothing super, like, out there and star-worthy. But you're just playing well. And that's what we need you to do as a rookie. So 
The midfield is where I have some more stronger opinions. I think that they play solid as a collective unit, but I think the middle of the field is such an important part of a team. It's like the spine of a team, and it needs to not be solid. It needs to be perfect. I think Haran has been awesome so far. I've loved watching Lindsay kill it in the middle of the field. I would love to see her play a little bit deeper, I think, as when we, if we could maybe scooch um, Crystal Dunn and Rose Lavelle into that lineup. Haran's ability to pass the ball is so great, and I think she already drops back so much. I think that players like Sullivan and Zamella, we could talk about a little bit later, would be used in more of a bench role in my scenario. But I think Sullivan and Zamella have played really well. I think it's also just rotation, as we'll talk about. Um, Haran has been playing so well. I think it's going to be impossible to take your captain, your leader, out of your starting lineup. Andy Sullivan, I think there's been too many people saying bad stuff about Sullivan. I think Sullivan's a good player. I just think she isn't truly hurt and that she isn't super attacking focus and I think she isn't the player that we'd hope to have fill the shoes of Juilliard's in the attacking sense. I think Sullivan is an incredible passer and a defender, but I think her thing is kind of that. And I feel like sometimes the US when we're pushing numbers up the field need Juilliards to be that defensive midfielder or someone who can like make those long passes that isn't Sullivan's strength I acknowledge that I've seen a lot of people say that I they don't understand why Vlacko is so insistent on having her in the lineup I think she provides a very nice spark in this the center defensive infield role with her passing abilities and I think that that's gonna be something that's gonna be hard to replace maybe you play her in there for rotation who knows um but overall Sullivan good job I know she was on the 2019 roster for the World Cup I believe but I think that, you know, it's very obviously different when you're playing a starting role from someone who didn't necessarily um, get so many different uh, starting opportunities previously at old World Cups, um, especially 2019. DeMello, I think, is a really good player. I love watching Sav kill it in the NWSL. I think Sav is her nickname. I'll use Savannah for this episode. But Savannah is just such a dynamic forward. She really gets in the right positions. Her finishing hasn't been perfect. But I think when you're getting someone who's new to a World Cup environment, it's going to be hard to adjust. And I think Jamal is doing a good job getting in the right positions. I think that I love watching her play. I think the U.S. has so much talent in the midfield. So maybe for rotation reasons, we might take her out of the lineup and then have her going in strong for the knockout stages. Fingers crossed. But I think Savannah is doing really well. I don't get why people were so relieved to see her subbed out in the Netherlands match. I think, of course, Lavelle is an incredible player, and I love watching Lavelle play. But I think we also have to appreciate the work rate that Savannah DeMello has both on and off the ball, which is such a great aspect of this U.S. team that has been missing. from The U.S. women's national team is one of the most dynamic offensive lines. That's what they're known for. And at this World Cup, their offense has gotten hit with a lot of injuries in the lead-up. We've talked about some of them in the opening of this episode, such as Swanson, Macario, Press, etc., um, but I really think that this front line has so many so many opportunities in the future. I love Smith and Rodman. Rodman's one of my favorite players in the U.S. team. I love them all, obviously. But Trippney is just so athletic. She's such a great athlete getting up that wing. I think, you know, she did her job on, on Wednesday night against Sunderland. I think when we talk about substitutes on this podcast, it's less about the player who's coming out and more about the players who are coming in. And I feel like in that match, Rodman had done her work 
on the field, and I think maybe giving from fresh legs to Williams would have been more beneficial in that match. But that's not to say that Trittany Robin isn't doing her job. I think she's doing such a great job. Her pass to Morgan was perfect. Offsides. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But Trittany is just, I think so inspirational to see a player break into the NWSL at such a young age and then make a World Cup team and be such a big player. I love watching Trittany play. Trittany, there's, you can, you don't, you can go so far in the, in the NWSL and beyond, which is why I'm so excited to see Trittany continue to grow and to get more minutes of this World Cup. Alex Morgan's a player who I think is the backbone of this team in leadership with players like Rapino and Heath who were starters at the last World Cup, not filling those starting roles of Heath not even being on the roster due to an ACL injury. I think that Morgan is a player who's super needed in that front line. I think she's so good off the ball, which is something I really loved watching her game improve on. I think from 2019, she was such a lethal finisher, but especially with like the defenses improving around the world, having Morgan be so good off of the ball is just a bonus that we didn't really know about until maybe last season at the San Diego Wave when we saw her blossom and shine on an NWSL level. I think that Morgan has been playing well so far. I think, you know, the penalty kick that's going to happen. I think people are overreacting about it from the Vietnam game. I know that's kind of stopped now that we're like a week removed from it, but I feel like they're professional athletes. Mistakes like those are going to happen. Morgan would bury that penalty kick almost every other day. So I feel like we have to calm down and acknowledge that the fact that this is a World Cup, yes, and the pressure should be on. We can't expect perfection from any athlete or anyone or anything. That's another good lesson to talk about is Morgan is, I know, maybe I'm biased. She's one of my favorites, but she just does so much great work for this team. And I think we can't diminish the off the ball work that she's doing. She hasn't gotten the ball in the back of the net yet, but I think that could very well change against Portugal. Sophia Smith, another one of my favorite players. I, I just have a soft spot for this whole front line. I love watching Smith play so much. She's so dynamic on the ball. She did dribble into traffic a little bit against the Netherlands. I think that maybe she could work on passing a little bit more. I know she's such a great finisher, but when you're on the U.S. team and you know Smith is going to be double teamed by the other players, it's not like club soccer where you're the main star. I know she has plenty of great players around her in Portland, but with the U.S. team, when you're playing with players as good as you or almost as good as you, Smith has got to work on maybe lifting her head up and finding that pass a few seconds sooner. I know there's certain chances where you, like, let Sophia shoot because she's such a lethal finisher. But in some situations where maybe she doesn't have the best angle or options to shoot for goal, I think maybe looking for that alternative option for the pass would be more beneficial. But Sophia's game against Vietnam was perfect. Her game against Netherlands was great, but it showed room for improvement. Cannot wait to see how Soph continues to develop over the years because she's such a beneficial player for this U.S. team and a cornerstone player who can we know can get the ball in the back of the net. And I'm so excited to see her continue to shine on the world's biggest stage in New Zealand and Australia this summer, hopefully leading the U.S. to a World Cup trophy. Let's continue on with this episode determines the whole tournament for the U.S., which is kind of scary, I think, considering this is a very young group. I mean, last match was the second time they had played together, that starting lineup, and the first time was being in the World Cup. So I feel like that's a little bit of concern for a lot of people that they're bringing a new group to the World Cup, considering they're trying to win it. But 
Looking at Portugal, their star player for me is Jessica Silva. I love watching her play in the NWSL or the Kansas City Current, even though that wasn't their best season. I still just feel like Silva is such a dynamic player. We've seen her in the first few World Cup matches tearing it up on the field. Um, they have plenty of young talents as well. Kika Nazaroth, I think is her name, Nazaroth. Um, I'll work on the pronunciation by next week's match recap. But I think they have a lot of good young talents from the Befica and their club setup in Portugal, which has been incredible. I love the Befica and Gotham connection. Hopefully we can get some players here. But I think I really just... I think Befica has helped Portugal grow a strong young side, but I also think that the U.S. can balance that out. With um, looking at past performances where they lost 1-0 to Netherlands and they got their victory against Vietnam this week, I think that, you know, there's a lot of confidence to be built by Port- from Portugal after winning the World Cup match against Vietnam, but at the same time, you also also have to be aware that they just, they did score two goals, with, but um, their team didn't, like, it's not like they were firing the whole match, so I think the U.S. side is really going to have to exploit that t- the um, opportunities that they get, because Portugal's team is very compact, and if you look at some previous um, results against the United States of America. I was actually at one of the matches that was um, that was played. Like I think that's I saw one of their victory tour games where the U.S. kind of blew them out. I think there's been a lot of changes since then from the Portuguese side, which will be interesting to see how they adapt. They're a very tactical team with a lot of technicality and speed and pace, which could be troubling for the U.S. But they're not going to have the physicality that the Dutch side had, which makes me believe that the Portugal game will give more open opportunities for the American side to capitalize on in the final third. So a lot of the times you talk about the game through players, but I think as we're kind of looking towards Portugal and previewing this match, I think we need to talk about the tactics and whether the full field press is going to be an option for the match. I know they probably can't sustain it for 90 minutes as they're also looking forward to the knockout match, which they will most likely participate um which they will most likely participate in. But I think that that's a big tactical ideology that the team has been sustained in for a while and has really grown through it and I think that's been part of the identity of the team a core piece of the side and without maybe players like press that press the the press on of the U.S. team may not be as formidable with losing Kristen Press's not just finishing ability but her pace I think that they will need to also think about if they're not going to press how are they going to develop the ball um get and get it up the field I think when we were we recover the ball in the middle of the pitch we need to work on getting a quicker pass, a quicker outlet pass to one of our forwards because the U.S. is really fast. And if we get the ball to Trittany, Sophia, Lynn, Alyssa, anyone who's on the field, I'm thinking of wingers specifically that would perhaps start for this U.S. side. But if we make those outlet passes, which we have done, we've seen little sparks of it in these two matches. But if we continuously make them even more, I think it'll exploit the opposition's defensive shape. And I think we'll use our pace and physicality to our strengths and our advantages in in this match. One last tactical thing that the U.S. will need to decide whether they'd like to implement is build how we build out of the back. Are we going to use a more direct approach against the Portuguese side and really focus on pace and physicality? But are we going to 
also focus on building out of the back and using a more compact passing and technical approach to this match. I think it's going to be something that Vlatko and Donoski will have to decide whether. I think they've tried to do a mix of both with Juliet's most likely playing the outlet pass to one of the wingers of the U.S. side through an Alyssa Nair and Naomi Gurman build-up play. I think that the U.S. against Portugal will like to be more direct and use their strengths and play to their advantages by using their pace and physicality, which they definitely have more of over the Portuguese side, who's more technical and is not as big. And I think using our physicality and strength and playing to our strengths will be the key for the U.S. win on Tuesday morning. I just talked about the tactics surrounding the United States side of how they're going to break down Portugal, but you may be asking, Liam, what did the U.S. need to do to finish on top of the group? Assuming the U.S. wins this match, a Netherlands loss or tie would automatically qualify them as the first place seed in this in Group E, but then they could still finish in first place as long as the Dutch side win. Depending on how many goals the Dutch score. So right now the U.S. has a uh, higher goal differential than the Dutch side. And so the Dutch have a goal differential of plus one, where we have one of plus three. So that, therefore, the Dutch side just needs to score three more goals than us in the next... They need to win by a margin of more than three goals. The Dutch side to beat us. In other terms, the U.S. side needs to score enough goals so the Dutch team doesn't score three more goals than us. So as long if we win five to one and they win eight to one, it would be they would go through. But if we win four to one and they and they if we win five to one and they win one to zero, we go through because we still have a better goal differential than them. It, we just have to they just have to score more three more goals than us, and win by a margin of more than three goals, if that makes any sense. I'm sorry for that rambling on about that topic, but to conclude and to clarify, the Dutch side needs to win by a margin of more than three goals to top the U.S. So the U.S. just has to win by a margin of enough goals that isn't three less than the Dutch side. Okay, I'll end that segment before any of you get even more confused. Everyone understands what I was talking about there with the mathematic com- um, concept of how the U.S. can finish on top of the group. But I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode. I know this might have been an episode that came a little late after the Netherlands game. I promise we'll have one much sooner after the Portugal game. And I really just appreciate you all for your support. Our support during the World Cup has been so incredible. Our listenership has grown tremendously. I think it's almost doubled. I, you'd have to check in with some of my more num- people who look at my numbers more. I don't. I don't usually look at them too much, but I just know that you guys have been killing it with the support, and I thank you so much because at the end of the day. I love this podcast and I'm doing it for fun, but it makes it even more fulfilling to hear that so many people are benefiting from this podcast and learning so much from it. So keep up the support. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and peace out from your host, LDG.